Coretta Scott King was quoted saying, the greatness of a community is most accurately measured by the compassionate actions of its members. Sometimes when we think about community, I think we focus a lot on the intermediate community surrounding us, like our actual physical neighbors, those in the town that we live in. And while, yes, we should absolutely 1000% be active participants in our community and give back and all of that, we should also think about our community in a larger, more broad sense. Our online communities, cultural communities, ancestral communities, the community of people we share a nationality with, those types of communities. Well, my guest today is an incredible Haitian American who has taken this idea of impacting her community to the next level by starting a nonprofit. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who's trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Vanessa Fleury, founder and director of Carl's Village. Carl's Village is a nonprofit agency providing mentoring programs for primary and secondary school children in the region of Grand Guave, Haiti. Their goal is to establish a community that will create sustainable pathways to academic success and self-empowerment for young people in Haiti. This was a really powerful conversation, and I was so grateful for Vanessa being really open and willing to talk about a lot of the things that have inspired her to start this nonprofit in addition to the work that she's doing in Haiti. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Vanessa. Well, Vanessa, I'm so excited to have you here and hear all about your story and the story of Carl's Village. So would you mind just giving us the Vanessa 101? So tell us who you are and how you got to doing what you're doing with Carl's Village. Absolutely. Um, So my name is Vanessa Fleury, and um, I am Haitian-American woman. Um, I was born in New York, and my parents, being Caribbean after a certain while because of the weather, (laughs) moved to (laughs) Miami. So um, I've kind of been back and forth between Miami, um, New York, and Haiti my um, whole 31 years of life. Um, So I have a connection to all three places. Um, Originally, after college, um, I wanted to go to law school and um, felt through my four years that it wasn't um, it didn't feel like the right fit for me. Yeah. Um, So uh, I tried the AmeriCorps program to kind of give me some work experiences to see. And I knew nothing about nonprofit. And I just it just kind of felt right. Um, I started working um, in 2011 in nonprofits uh, to help uh, Haitian immigrants after the earthquake mm. get some a legal status to be able to work and provide um, in Miami. And that's where my nonprofit career started. I went on to um, get my master's in, in nonprofit management so that I can better understand the logistics of development. And um I and, and I now I'm running my own nonprofit, which everything kind of um, snowballed pretty quickly. Um, Carl's Village is um, named after my grandfather, mm-hmm. who passed away in 2015. So I wanted to do something to keep his legacy alive. 
um, and the area that my grandparents are from. So um, I started Carl's Village to as um, his legacy building, uh, helping people in the community, each one leveraging my privilege in the community, um, seeing what it is I can assist with. And that's how Carl's Village came about to be an after school program for kids in the community that were falling behind in school. Yeah. So uh, I'd dive a little bit deeper into what Carl's Village does. So you it is in the region of Grand Guave, Haiti. Uh, And for those that have maybe never been to Haiti, where is that in the country? Yes, it's actually a very small town, two hours south of the capital of Port-au-Prince. Um, there is the neighbor. The funny thing is that the neighboring town is called Petit Guave, which means little Guave, and Grand Guave is um, would be big Guave, but Grand Guave is a smaller town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't know how that worked out, but it is. It's so it's kind of like. People pass it all the time, and um, it's it's usually forgotten. Um, it's just a community where everyone knows everyone. I uh, my my grandmother is born and raised there, um, so my family has always been in that area. I've spent many summers um, in that area, so I've always been pretty familiar. Um, but um, after my grandfather's funeral, I just met a few people from the community. The priest that celebrated the funeral um, just was telling me about the kids and education in Haiti is all privatized. Mm -hmm. So um, with very low wages or no wages, um, oftentimes parents do not send their kids to school. Um, So they, the school has done a pretty good um, job at finding sponsorships um, throughout the states or from missionaries in Canada. Um, However, they were finding it really hard for the kids to perform. So it's kind of like you pay tuition, they go to school, but there is something that they're lacking or they fail the grade and now they have to retake the class. And it's kind of counterproductive because they're not improving in their grades. And Mm. then um, what I'm what I found was that a lot of their parents are not able to help with homework. They're not able to read and write a privilege that we often don't think about. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always had my parents or a tutor or someone help me. And I've talked to community um, teachers in the community and they've often tried to offer tutoring after school, but the parents cannot afford it. Yeah. And Really, the dropout rate in Haiti, it's around the sixth grade. Mm. Um, parents might feel, okay, you, you, you've gotten enough schooling. Now um, you're not doing that well. Now it's time to help, you know, help with uh, securing, um, paying for the household. Yeah. Um, so I'm just trying to leverage that. Um, it's not that they can't. A lot of times they just need, like a lot of us, the extra support with their schoolwork. And from... The three years, this is my third year um, doing Carl's Village. All of my kids, all 50 of them that were given to me by the school were in danger of failing. Mm. And everyone is a letter grade up. Wow, that's awesome. So where did you, I mean, I know you said that you named it after your grandfather who had passed. Um, Where did you really get the idea to start this nonprofit? And, you know, was it a kind of 
like chicken and an egg sort of scenario? Like, had you already been there and you'd seen that this was a problem? Or did somebody in the community say like, hey, this is a problem. We need a solution. You know, what was sort of the, the, the I guess, catalyst that led you to open or start Carl's Village? So um, my grandfather was uh, an accountant in um, Haiti, an entrepreneur. He had several, he had a bed and breakfast in the area, which a lot of, I've met a lot of Canadian missionaries Mm -hmm. that's come to help with um, kids in Haiti. Um, It was actually, and he, um, him seeing my work in nonprofit, him and I had always talked about, we, we should try to see how we can assist and um, Gongwav, uh, and then he passed away, and I kind of got very mm. scared about doing it on my own. But I just remember him telling me about specific missionaries from Canada, and when I went to Haiti for the funeral, I met them. I was like, I'm not quite sure um, what uh, you and we should be talking about, but I just know my grandfather said that I should meet you all. And um, they were telling me how they had 100 kids that they have been sponsoring throughout several years. And they are great kids. Their um, tuition um, in the grand scheme is about $250 American for the year. Mm-hmm. And um, But the kids were failing. Um, and I was just like, well, why? Like, what is happening? Um, and they're like, well, the parents at home um, can't read or write uh, and they they were getting discouraged at paying tuition because they kept having to do it. And if you there are some schools, if you fail once, they'll kick you out. So it's very hard to um, to find uh, another school that will take um, the students. So um, I was just trying to get to the root of the issue. And then I was like, okay, now I found my plug. I found something where I'm needed and I'm not repeating what is already being done in the community. Yes, I can pay for more students to go to school, but if the ones that are already in school are not performing um, and no one is, there's no system in place to help them. I, I need to be, I'm more useful in that realm. That's such Um, a great point that I think I wish more people would here. And I think I want to reiterate that. And that's that you weren't creating anything that didn't already exist. Right. Because so often, because I also work with a lot of nonprofits here. And so often I see nonprofits basically trying to reinvent the wheel. And so and I'm just like, well, why don't we partner as a nonprofit? Like, here's what we specialize in. But why don't we partner with another nonprofit in this particular area that we need help in that they are already doing well? And we can elevate each other and be more effective that way. Exactly. And a lot of times um, people are, are, are like, well, how are you doing this? How are I always look for who is already doing the work? Um, another reason why um, low performance in schooling in, in Haiti, one in five children are malnutritioned. Mm. So going to school very hungry is a big factor as to why they are not learning. Yeah. So I provide meals and I've, I've, I've met another, a few, um, a women's group that they were, they started a nonprofit to teach kids how to he- eat healthy within their cultures, food and in their culture. So I partnered with them and we started a community garden in Gungwav. So not only are we going to provide them meals when they come after school and they're able to learn better and retain better, 
what they recall from the, they learn how to garden, they, they learned the importance of agriculture, and they take food home for their family. So we're not just feeding those kids, we're feeding hundreds. Wow. Just from a small garden. And a lot of times, I, I am very um, big on thinking big. But um, the very little that my garden has is, is, is doing a lot. And if someone, if I can partner with someone else that's already doing the work, even if I'm not an expert in gardening, they are, yeah. then leverage our strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I want I have a couple other questions I want to ask you, but it's sort of top of mind just because of um, what's going on in Haiti right now um, with a lot of the kind of unrest and a lot of the issues that are yeah. happening. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if this is something you feel comfortable kind of sharing, like what your experience has been, especially like running a nonprofit that's in Haiti. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you are seeing with the um, Gungwav is actually where since we're two hours south, we're not in the capital, so we do not get the brunt of protests, yeah. and um, most of that happens in the capital. Um, where it becomes an issue for us is that um, things that that it's a very small town, things that we would supplies that we would need to get mm-hmm. from the capital becomes a little bit more difficult. We have to um, stay home a lot. It, anything that happens usually trickles down eventually, um, uh, to Gungwav, but it's, it, it, we're, we're, we're a little bit removed from it. Yeah. Um, but, um, I, I don't shy away from letting, I, I do take, um, groups to Haiti with me. Yeah. Um, um, but I, I don't shy away from what the situation um, is but I do let people know that this is not unfamiliar to any country. There, there's unrest everywhere. Yeah. Um, it just a little bit is it, it's a little bit magnified because Haiti is such a small country. It's a little bit more concentrated in areas. Yeah. I guess I should have asked first, like for anybody yeah. that might not know what's going on, can you kind of just briefly explain what is going on in Haiti right now? So right now there's a lot of back and forth as far as protest um, against um, government corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been a very um, large amount of money that Venezuela has uh, given to um, the Haitian government to provide infrastructure um, to Haiti, uh, mostly in the capital. And um, the people are asking from for some accountability of how those funds um, were distributed, mm-hmm. um, mostly because the cost of gas has been going um, going up, yeah. which causes the cost of food to go up. So with very low employment and um, cost of living going up, um, people get very angry, um, rightfully very agitated mm-hmm. um, without um, any response from the government. Yeah. So um, I, I, I tried to... Last year, around this time, in 2018, around this time, um, the Haitian gourd was 62 gourds would get you one American dollar. Right now, it's about 81 to 82 gourds for one American dollar. Mm. So their val- their currency is going down, and the cost of living is going up, and there is n- no one that can in the government that can explain why or um, how they plan to um, to to fix the problem. There was some protest in November when the gas prices first started to go up 
And um, successfully so, um, after after the protest, the government did not raise the gas prices. So, um, but but now it's like starting to become a conversation again about raising prices or or not people not finding um, gas, and so that those are the really the reasons, um, and rightfully so, they have a right to um, when you're hungry. Um, and no one is is being held accountable um, and you're not getting um, the things that your tax dollars are paying for, rightfully so, um, someone should. Um, the, the problem that, that that keeps happening is that no one in the government is responding. <laughs> it took, yeah. I think, um, they were, they, recently there was like a 10-day protest and on a, it was like not until day eight that the president mm-hmm. um, put out a statement. Wow. Yeah. So that, that, that's the, the, the communication problem is mostly what the biggest issue is right now. Okay, I'm breaking really quick from this amazing conversation with Vanessa to take a moment to thank our sponsor of the show, and that is The Root Collective. Now, The Root Collective is no stranger to the show, as Bethany Tran, who's the founder and owner, is one of my nearest and dearest friends. I've been a huge fan and supporter of The Root Collective for years, and you can pretty much always catch me wearing their incredible shoes. In fact, right now, I'm wearing my incredible Molly sandals. Yes, they're named after me, and they are the perfect summer sandal. Also, I I love them because they are the most complimented shoes that I own. And also, those compliments lead to a story about how my shoes are ethically made, empowering communities, and investing in change through job creation. Visit stillbeingmolly.com TRC and use the code PURPOSE20 for 20% off your order. Back to my chat with Vanessa. You said that because Grangwav is so f- kind of far away from yeah. the capital that you don't experience as much of the brunt of the f- the frustration as the capital. No, um, only um, the capital was a pretty much on lockdown for about ten days. Yeah, um, there were um, towards the the um, there were about maybe four or five days that the kids missed school, mostly for precaution reasons and it started to trickle down and into um the south the protests but it it wasn't at the level or magnitude that it was in the capital mostly um people stayed home just to be precautious yeah yeah so what is it like to i mean and also i want to ask this when did your parents um emigrate to the united states from haiti um, my mother actually immigrated pretty early. Um, she uh, immigrated when she was in high school mm-hmm. um, in the seventies. Um, she went to high school in Boston, yeah. but it was still it wasn't a smooth transition for her. She was in the English as a second language program, so she never really felt like she fully um, got what a high school experience would have been. Yeah. Um, so, um, and then she moved, um, when she went to nursing school and she moved to New York city where that's where I was born and my siblings and, um, but, but she, it's, it's still, I I always tell my mom's been here since the seventies, but you would think (laughs) she came from Haiti yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) That's just how it is. I love it. Um, and where in New York city did you grow up? I'm in Queens. Awesome. I love New York. Oh, I love New York so much. It's just one of those places that's like, it's just, it's just magical. Like the smells in the air. (laughs) 
<laughs> it is magical. Um, so tell me your experience about working internationally while being stateside. So I, I know I do a lot of international work uh, while also being here, but I don't run a nonprofit. So talk a little bit about that. Um, my biggest advocate for that is technology. Mm. I am so thankful for technology. I don't think um, 10 years ago this would be as smooth because um, Wi-Fi wasn't as strong. I'm very lucky that um, our bed and breakfast, we we have Wi-Fi capability. So um, I can video video chat. We um, talk every day via WhatsApps and voice notes. Um, I can, I, we have, um, I'm writing more grants for more computers so that the kids can use, but, um, the, the teachers and the tutors have access, um, to, um, iPads so that we are in constant communication. Um, technology is my biggest advocate and I try to use it, um, as much as possible. And I'm, I'm, my plan is to teach, um, show the kids um, they're not they're not very, um, if any, have access to um, Internet. Yeah. And are, um, are you so, are you fluent in Haitian Creole? I am. Um, I actually. So when my mom went to nursing school, um, she was also going through a divorce. So it was me and my brother and she needed some assistance. So she sent us to Haiti to live with my grandparents. Oh, wow. Um, which described my closest with my grandfather. Um, so I, I did my elementary school years and um in Haiti so I have the advantage of knowing how the school system works yeah um so I'm not very unfamiliar I honestly it it, it's a little bit of luck the people that I work with I've known all my life Mm. um the tutors that I that that are are part of Carl's Village um I've known for a very long time um So at what point did you realize in your education? Because I know you said that you um, got your master's in nonprofit management. But like at what point kind of in your education life did you realize working with nonprofits and specifically doing something in Haiti, um, you know, a country that obviously you are very personally connected to? At what point did that kind of come to you as as something you knew that you were called to do? Um, So. I, I honestly, being Caribbean, um, from Caribbean immigrant parents, you have like four career choices that they think are careers. So you're a doctor, you're a nurse, you're an engineer, um, maybe an accountant, like, and then everything else is like, kind of like, what do you do? Um, so my, my parents were like, just really big advocates about me being a lawyer. And I always thought that I wanted to do that. Um, high school, I was on a um, mock trial team, the debate team, all of that. And then when I went to college, I just did not feel connected. I felt like I was just going to have a job. Um, yeah, I would have had a great job. It would have been easy to like, um, to structure my career path, but it just did not feel like Vanessa. Um, and I joined a public service sorority and started to doing service work. And I just felt, I, I, it just felt like me. I just felt like I'm a giver. Yeah. Um, how do I, how do I give and um, dedicate myself to giving? I never, I never knew that nonprofit. Um, I can make a career of it. 
Um, it, it wasn't until um, I became an AmeriCorps member I realized. And oftentimes people don't realize nonprofit is a business. Yeah. Um, anything you want done done right, you you want people to to run it efficiently. And any nonprofit that you want to to run right, you need to run it efficiently, like a business. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as somebody who has, you know, you have a master's in nonprofit management and you are running a nonprofit yourself, what is some advice that you wish you had gotten when you first started? I know that there are so many times that like people who are want to start a podcast or they want to start a blog and they'll always ask me like, what advice do you have? Or can I pick your brain? And I'm just, I just think about all the things that I wish I'd known. Um, What do you, what would you say to the somebody, to somebody who's considering maybe starting a nonprofit, running a nonprofit, getting into that space? Um, so that this is, um, also I get a lot of pick, um, pick my brain questions. Yeah. All the time. A lot of times, a lot of times people come to like, you're doing this so well. And I'm like, am I really? Um, thank you. (laughs) So I, I, I've, I've, I've ventured into, um, consulting for people who are starting out, um, and nonprofit and have never been in this realm or need direction, but things that I wish that, um, you cannot do it alone. Um, it, it's about finding the right team. Um, and finding the right team also consists of knowing what your strengths and we- weaknesses are. Um, I know my strengths and weaknesses is not numbers. I am a doer. I, I, I like to program. Operations is my strength. So I find the right accounting people. I, I found the right people who do numbers. We all know someone who knows someone. Um, but if we don't know what our strengths and weaknesses are, we um, we can't build the right team. Mm-hmm. That That is my major gift for uh, people who are starting out. I love that. That's great advice. Now, what is on the horizon for... Carl's Village. What's what's your vision for the next, you know, even just year, two years, five years? Um, Carl's Village is a safe space um, for kids. Um, when they come, I want them to feel like they can be their most authentic selves. Oftentimes, um, kids in Haiti don't get the chance to um, just be kids. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I um, we I, I want to be their safe space to be who they want to be to um, carve out their own future on, on their own. I think that's, what's very unique about um, me doing um, a nonprofit organization in Haiti. I am not here to tell them what they should do or how they should do it. I'm here to provide them with resources that they need to become what they see for their future. Um, I, I want to inspire them to know that where they are, they are already great. They just have to unlock their full potential. Um, five, ten years from now, I um, my and I call up all of them my kids. Um, I foresee my kids being role models to the, the younger kids that come. Um, I just foresee us being really a family. I oftentimes like, well, you're going to you're going to grow so much. You're going to have so many other kids. And like my kids will already will already be the leaders and um, 
it provide it provides sustainability to the area. Oftentimes, people don't like I said, it's a very small town, so we people often bypass Gongwav. But I I just see so much in these kids that I know that they'll be the ones to make a name of the town. That's incredible. I love that, Vanessa. Thank you. Well, this is the portion of the show where we transition just a little bit to ask some fun get-to-know-you questions. And as my listeners know, this is also the portion of the show where my executive producer husband inserts some type of sound effect or movie clip or something to transition us to the get-to-know-you round. So, Vanessa, are you ready for some fun questions? I am ready. Awesome. You want to do something really meaningful, go to a protest that has nothing to do with you. Personally, I did that for the first time. I went to a Muslim ban protest, man. This is what they don't tell you. You can just leave whenever you want. I never knew that was an option because I only go to black. Pro- I'm from Birmingham. All we do is go to black protests. And when you at a black protest, you there. There's no leaving. You think black church long, go to a black protest. Ain't no sneaking off. I just left the Muslim man. They wave, see you later. Thank you. I tried to tiptoe away from black protests. I got two steps away from the group. They said, where you going, brother? The struggle is this way. My bad, fam. That's on me. I thought we was gonna make that left. We making the left. Okay, struggles. Okay, let's go this way. Okay. The first question, I've never asked this one before. I thought this would be a fun new one, is do you have any funny or strange superstitions? Oh, my gosh. I'm Haitian. I have time. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's funny because I planned that question before I knew that you were actually Haitian. <laughs> like, I knew that you worked in Haiti, but I did not know that you yourself were Haitian. So. Yeah. I, like, how much time do you have? <laughs> Um, but my biggest one is I for New Year's Eve, um, my home has to be clean from top to bottom. Like you can you cannot go into the house without having deep clean. And also on January 1st, you have to drink um, pumpkin squash soup. Interesting. What's the like what's the the kind of the reason behind those two things? Um. Um, January 1st is also Haitian Independence Day. Mm. Um, and that is um, just the most traditional um, Haitian soup that there is. So every Haitian household is drinking pumpkin squash soup. I love that. That's so fun. That's really unique and not something that I would have guessed at all. So my house also has to be clean on December 31st, but not because I'm Haitian. So (laughs) well, maybe you are by association. Maybe I am. Maybe like I should do that 23 and me. Maybe I have like a 1% Haitian or something. Um, Okay. Uh, All right. Question number two. If you got stuck in an elevator and you were forced to listen to only one song, what would it be? Oh my gosh, this was a that's such a good one. Um it would be um Whitney Houston, um, I wanna run to you. Oh, that's a good one. Her voice is just so soothing. It really um, is. If I'm in stuck in an elevator, I, I I would need someone to calm me down. I wanna run to you. <laughs> I like to sometimes pretend that I can sing like Whitney Houston, but obviously I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what is the weirdest tradition that your family has? Um, weirdest tradition. Do you guys have something that, that you do as a family or you kind of always did as a family or you remember doing a lot as a family together growing up? 
traditions. Um, we've actually just we have been every two years we have like a big barbecue um type thing um and it's always in boston um my grandma's sisters when they immigrated to the states is boston was where and so that house is is the most constant um thing in my family it's yeah you know my mom grew up there everyone (laughs) grew up there so when we every any reunion that we have is tradition to go back to that house yeah is there like a particular dish that you know, somebody always makes, it's always there. Yes. Yes. Um, and my grandma's sister, she makes, it's called malinad. It's, um, kind of a flour dough that is fried and it has pieces of chicken inside. Um, it's so delicious, but that is her thing. Any family big event, she will be frying, um, malinad. and they are, we're actually, we're this year we're going to do, cause my grandma's sister's turning 85. Mm. So we are going to be having another barbecue in the same home. I love it. I love it. You got some longevity in your family. (laughs) Um, Okay. What is something that you've never been able to do, but you've always wanted to do? Um, I have always wanted to kind of anything gymnastics, like a a flip. Um, I cannot like tuck and roll or any of that. I've always wanted to get into gymnastics. I love it. It's never too late. You can totally do it. Yes, I, I hope not. Uh, I've tried. I, I'm a only girl. I only um, have brothers. Um, so I when when we were younger, my mom always like everyone has to like agree one, on one activity, and I was always outvoted on the gymnastics. So we did karate. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I can't do a cartwheel, so never been able to. <laughs> My yeah. five-year-old can do an amazing cartwheel, and I'm just and she's like, "Mommy, can you do it?" And I'm like, "No, I actually cannot." I At cannot. five, we're fearless, though. I know it's true. Yeah, she will just like go run, do a round off, like no fear. I'm like, "You're gonna break your neck." I don't even know. Um, okay, and then my last question for you is, what are you most grateful for today? Um, I am. I'm grateful for family and friends, as cliche as it sounds. They are my biggest cheerleaders and in times where I always feel even I, I'm Carl's religious growing and I, I, I see the impact, but I always feel like I'm not doing enough. Um, and they are constantly cheering me on. So I'm most grateful for that. Awesome. That's incredible. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Vanessa. And thank you for sharing the story of Carl's Village and just everything that you're doing there. I cannot wait to see you continue to succeed and impact the lives of so many kids in Haiti. Thank you so much. I um, It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed um, talking to you and sharing my story. I would love to know what you loved about this particular episode or something that you learned. Let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Another huge thank you to our sponsor, The Root Collective. Visit stillbeingmolly.com slash TRC and use that coupon code PURPOSE20 for 20% off your order. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are quite literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you so much for tuning in week in and week out. Thank you for your support. Now, don't forget to head on over to iTunes, 
Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, or wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe button. Clicking that button helps to make sure that you never miss a new episode of The Pod. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review of the show? Leaving a review really just helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose.